The Eagles and Cowboys both lose. Which team is better in the NFC East? The Bills beat the Cowboys. Can they still make a deep playoff run? Drew Locke, did he just start a quarterback controversy? All that is next. This is the Fumble Rooski Podcast. Welcome to the Fumble Rooski podcast by Power 88 and Seek a Weapon Consulting. I'm Adam Wright with CJ Medeiros. As I mentioned, we have a great episode planned for you guys today. So we're we going to get on to the Eagles and Cowboys, both losing in heartbreaking upsets. Uh, the Bills, they it looks like maybe things are starting to look up for them. We'll see. Uh, Drew Locke may or may not have just started a quarterback controversy. Geno Smith was active on Monday night, but Drew Locke got the start and he pulled off the upset against the mighty Philadelphia Eagles and joining us to cover all of these topics. We have special guest Brett Schaubs for, I believe it was the, it's the fourth time you've been on the show. Correct. I believe it's the fourth time. And I keep coming back because somehow, some way the, the Broncos and their constituents just keep winning. So lots to talk about here. Lots, lots to talk about indeed. Welcome back to the show. It's uh it's been a long time. It has been a little while, and uh glad to be back and uh talk some more football. Absolutely. All right, we'll start off. So the Eagles and Cowboys have both lost in their respected matchups. Uh Eagles was a little closer, but it was more heartbro- heartbreaking, of course. Uh 20 to 17 to the Seattle Seahawks. Drew Locke was the hero in this one. Uh, the Cowboys lost 31 to 10. This one was not close and they looked a little worse than the Eagles did. Um, but with both of these teams losing, Cowboys are still in first. They both have this have relatively the same record. Um, which team is better? Which team has the better shot at making a deep playoff run and potentially a Super Bowl victory? Brett, I'll start with you. You know, this is kind of a tough one. Um, I think it's hard to judge the Eagles over the last few weeks because one, Jalen Hurts has been hurt. And two, last week he was hurt and sick at the same time. This poor guy had to fly out by himself at 75%, you know, healthy and was just barely an active player for that game against the Seahawks. Um, Honestly, I think it's more so Philadelphia, in my opinion. Um, I think that Dallas absolutely has one of their stronger teams that they've had in the last decade. Um, they look phenomenal this season under Mike McCarthy. Um, I just think that Philadelphia still has that upper edge in the confidence. And um, just with overall play, when Dallas is on the road, they tend to struggle a lot. Uh, their strength really comes at home. So if Dallas really wants to make that push, they need to secure the division, which is going to be a tall task already. Um, if they can do that, I think Dallas could have a very strong chance of, you know, making that push to the Super Bowl. But I think right now Philadelphia still has that upper hand. All right, CJ, what are your thoughts? Now, that's tough for me. I view Dallas and Philly as two sides of the same coin. They have a lot of high-end talent, but they are very, very deeply flawed. For example, I will grant Philadelphia that Jalen Hurts has been playing injured. He's been playing sick. But he is now tied with Bill's quarterback, Josh Allen, for the most quarterback turnovers this season. That is horrific. And especially for somebody who we consider going into the year to be an MVP candidate. Then there's Dak, who's uh, been a pleasant surprise for the people in Dallas, that is. And I just, I don't know. Something about the Cowboys, like Brett mentioned, is just... Actually, like I said, like Brett mentioned, it's that their strength is playing at home. 
all of I just think it's no coincidence that all of their losses have come on the road. And Philly at least has shown some signs of life on the road. So like Brett, I'm gonna have to give the edge to Philly here because their roster might just be a smidgen, just a smidgen, mind you, better. And on top of that, I just I feel like Philly has the capacity to go farther in the playoffs, mostly because they're not shackled to the moniker of being a home team. Yeah, I would say so. It's a good point bringing up the home the home road splits because Dallas is a completely different team on the road versus at home, which is why it's extremely important the fact that they have home field advantage right now for at least one playoff game. Uh, so they have that going for them, and so I don't I don't want to use the word fraud too much, mainly namely because they we, that we've used it used the crap out of it all season long, but I'll use it right now. Not everyone can't be frauds if everyone is a fraud. If everyone is the same way, then is is anyone really fraudulent between the two teams? If these two teams face each other again, it's going to depend on who has the who has the home matchup. And right now, it's Dallas. So if they win out and they maintain their spot at the top of the NFC East, I think this Cowboys team is going to be uh, making the deeper playoff run. And I also believe this is probably the best chance I give the Cowboys to make a deep a deep run in recent memory. They've had some good teams, but I think this is the most balanced the most idiot proof team that I we have seen in recent memory. I talked to I talked a couple weeks ago about their secondary. This is a secondary that doesn't just create turnovers. They also have a shutdown corner in Stefan Gilmore who can erase wide receivers rather than just create the interceptions. Because let's face it, if your quarterback is not if the quarterback is not getting rushed, if he's not getting rushed, then you're not going to create the turnovers. You're just going to end up um you're just going to end up turning all of these uh, all of these ball hawk corners like Trevon Diggs and Duron uh, Bland Bland into burnt pieces of toast. So that's kind of my my two cents on it. Um, but I think the Cowboys have the better shot here, just because they're in first, and I think this team looks a lot better than they have in years past. Yeah, I I think in this sense, something about Dallas this year just rubs me the right way if they are able to play their cards right and get the perfect scenario in the playoffs i i honestly think this team can reach the super bowl but that's if the cards are dealt in the proper hand like i said philadelphia when philadelphia's at home and they're the better overall balanced team i think they can beat this dallas squad but if dallas is home man especially if they win this division they are going to go far and it's just because, A, Mike McCarthy has been able to call the plays a lot better this season on offense. And you mentioned it perfectly. Their secondary has been a lot stronger, even without Trevon Diggs. They have literally been so reliant on Stephon Gilmore. Deron Bland has stepped up huge. The free and strong safeties have been a nice balance. The, this Dallas team is legit. And I haven't said that about Dallas in a while. I have been harping Stephen A. Smith's bubble for the last four years. They have been frauds every year. This team is legit. I hope they don't prove me wrong again. Dallas, I'm, I'm praying on you, man. I'm praying on you. All right. Well, we'll see what, how everything shakes out. If the Cowboys end up falling out of the NFC East lead, I may end up uh, switching my pick over to the Eagles just because that home, uh, that home matchup really does matter for the Cowboys. Uh, but we're going to move on. And we're going to get to the Bills. Could things be different for them as well? They beat the Cowboys 31 to 10, slaughtered those Cowboys on their own home turf. We're going to talk about just how good of a chance they have to make the playoffs and per perhaps potentially a run. That's next. This is the Fumble Ruski podcast.
Welcome back to the Fumble Rooski podcast by Power 8 Secret Weapon Consulting. Adam Wright, CJ Madero, special guest Brett Shavs. All right. So the Bills, they beat the Cowboys 31 to 10. Um, and here's the question here. So the Bills have looked about as shaky as they have ever looked in their time with Josh Allen at quarterback. And they I don't think we have during Josh Allen's time in Buffalo, outside of his developmental years, pre pre Stefan Diggs, have ever thought that this team is going to miss the playoffs. There is now a strong possibility of that. But this past game made me feel maybe they have a little bit in them. Maybe with that elite quarterback that they finally have after a quarter de- after a quarter of a century without Jim Kelly, that maybe that they can do something here in the second half of the season. But Brett, what do you think? You know, this is a team that I keep wanting to say to myself, they've had a really hard schedule. They've had a really hard schedule. They should be given a little bit of slack because of the amount of difficult teams they've had to come up with. You take a look at the schedule and it's not. It's not hard. And so many of these losses have just been poor play at the end of games, and they haven't been able to close out. The Jets, week one, you lose to Zach Wilson. Then you lose to Jacksonville in October. Then you follow that up with a loss in New England against a team that only has three wins. Three! What are we doing, Buffalo? Then you lose to Cincinnati. You lose to Denver on a game-winning field goal. You follow that up with losses to both Philadelphia and um, Philadelphia was the last loss. But again, this is just a team where besides the Eagles, you've got to win those football games. In tight scenarios, Josh Allen has to close out. Sean McDermott has to make the right decisions at the end of the game. And at the end of the day, it falls on defensive scheming and coaching overall. This team just hasn't been able to, to close out the big moments and it's unfortunately why they're in this scenario. I don't know if they can make a playoff run at this point. It's just too close of a call. Yeah. CJ? I think they can, but much like what Brett said about the Cowboys, the cards have to fall right. See, why did Buffalo beat the Cowboys? Plain and simple. Dallas is high on their own supply, and Buffalo, plain and simple, I think just wanted it more. That's how it boils down to. But the Bills are a very arrogant team. They are. They they have been. You have divas like Stefan Diggs that are always running their mouth, and then things fall off when they get punched in said mouth. And the thing is with Buffalo, I mentioned how many turnovers Jalen Hurts had. Let's uh let's circle back to that. He's tied with Josh Allen. Josh Allen is a turnover machine. And whenever he has won, they usually tend to come in bunches, be they interceptions or be they fumbles. As soon as he gets one, he cannot stop the bleeding. And that's what's hurting them. And another thing is, we all know Stefan Diggs, top 10 receiver, great, you know, just, just great guy to just, you know, go throw the ball to. That's all well and good. But who else does Josh Allen really have to throw to? Gabe Davis, it's looking like that one miracle run was a fluke. You have Khalil Shakir, who half the NFL doesn't know who that is. And, and I guess James Cook, but he's much more of a wide receiver than he is a running back. I'll tell you that much. And you have two okay tight ends in Kincaid and Knox. And when you look at Allen, it's just, this is like, like you said, like the most shaky we've ever seen this guy. And, but for me, one of the biggest red flags is the defense. How many years were we fed that? The Bills have like a top three defense. Well, that's not true. You have all these big names and they're not doing anything because Von Miller has been wrapped up in some horrific off the field issues. And and uh, when is Tredavious White not hurt? And you have and Ed Oliver has been extremely underwhelming and you lost Tremaine Edmonds this offseason. So this might Milano's gone too. Oh, yeah. Milano's gone. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Well, the thing is, for Buffalo, I don't know. Even if you get to the playoffs, even if you keep the underdog mentality, you're going to run into a team like Miami. You're going to run to a team like Baltimore. A team that's plain and simple might not have the 
experience of being good as of late that you do, but a team that just might have a bit more talent. And I, if I'm Buffalo, I mean, I'm aiming for the playoffs, but at the same time, I'm thinking about next year. This is a year that you – that it's it's a learning year. You know what I mean? Like, that's really what it's going to come down to. You have to realize, all right, we've made mistakes. Let's not do this. And also, this, I think, could be interpreted as a warning shot for John McDermott. The cracks are showing. There are warning signs. And I know a lot of Bills fans, and they're not happy with him. And because when you have two teams, we have one being the Bills, and the other is this team that is on the Bills level – if, you, if the Bills are with an opponent that's evenly matched, nine times out of ten, McDermott's just going to get out coach. This is not opinion. This is a fact. And at the end of the day, at the end of the season, because I think we can pretty much write them out of Super Bowl contention, they need to do some reflection. So can they make a playoff run? Even if they make it in, I don't see them getting to the AFC Championship game, and I call them lucky to get to the divisional round. Yeah. I am the so I do believe this team is has started to turn it around. They've now lost they've now won 3 of their last 4 and their next 3 are very winnable games. So an 11 and 6 finish and to potentially win a playoff game or two that's not out of the realm of possibility. Doesn't mean this team doesn't have some massive holes to fix. First of all, their defense is extremely injured. They're going to have to fix that. Whether it's their fault or not, you have to work on uh the best ability is availability. And you have to work on getting, whether that's strength and conditioning or the way that your front office operates in selecting players, got to find ways to keep your defense on the field. Uh, second, the coaching. This coaching, I so I, I really have praised Sean McDermott's job of helping turn this Bills, this Bills team around um, in their, for their franchise in the past few years. They broke their playoff drought with... Uh, uh, what's his name? Completely blanking on the quarterback's name at the time. Tyrod Taylor. Um, but it looks like that was more of a flash in the pan. And then you got an elite quarterback who was able to overshadow for some of your weaknesses. Now this uh, now this roster doesn't look as good as it has in years past. So now you think, okay, maybe Sean McDermott didn't have much to do with it to begin with. He's not that bad of a coach but certainly not the type who could win a Super Bowl. So it looks more like they're winning in spite of him rather than because of him, which is, which is really disappointing because he did help, he did help break that uh, playoff drought. But again, flash in the pan. Maybe they got some career years out of some quarterbacks and <laughs> some talent that wasn't really that good to begin with. Maybe something like that. But I would say... They definitely have the potential to make another playoff run, especially with the way the AFC is shaping up right now. I think their ceiling is an AFC championship, and that is being very, very generous. I think, honestly, at this point, I think it is generous. I would honestly agree with Adam. I think it's generous to give them the AFC title game ceiling. If it was me, I'd honestly give them the divisional round. You make it at least past the wild card round. You have to face one of either Miami, Baltimore, or Kansas City if Kansas City wins the division. Any of those three, I don't see Buffalo beating. I don't see them beating Baltimore. I just think John Harbaugh is going to outcoach McDermott. I don't see them beating out a sling team in Miami. And Kansas City at home, I'm taking Kansas City any day of the week. I'm sorry. Um I honestly, I don't see them going past the divisional round. That's just being realistic to me. Um, but in any scenario, I don't know. I, I This is going to be a tall task for them. I, that's all I got to say. Yeah, the Ravens are, so the Ravens are definitely a team I don't see them beating. I might actually have them beating Miami. I might, so Miami is a team that does not, they look like one of the more shaky uh, division leading teams that I have seen in a while. Especially a team that is that is has as good a record as they do, uh, currently sitting at ten and four. I have I've got so and they have beaten them earlier on in this in this year like badly. I might actually have to go with uh, with the Bills over Miami, and I might, jeez, oh, I might have them over Kansas City as well. 
I Miami or not Miami, excuse me. Kansas City is always weak against Buffalo in the regular season. Buffalo is undefeated against Kansas City in Arrowhead in the regular season. This is a fact. However, in the postseason, it's the old saying from the office, how the turntables. Buffalo cannot beat Kansas City in Arrowhead. It's impossible in the postseason. That's why I have Kansas City over Buffalo in this case. Maybe they prove me wrong if they face off in the postseason again. I don't know. But as the facts show right now, Buffalo cannot win an Arrowhead in the postseason. It's impossible. So the, like the the main my main point that I'm making um towards the Bills is that any other year I would I would be on board with both of you. I don't give them a shot at the AFC Championship. But this year Kansas City looks more vulnerable than ever. And yes, in years past they have been unbeatable in Arrowhead unless your name is Joe Burrow or Tom Brady. But this year I mean it has to this streak has to end at some point their hot streak at Arrowhead in, in January. And, you know, even Tom Brady lost in Foxborough eventually. So I, oof, I, this is the most vulnerable I've ever seen Kansas city. And I wouldn't be surprised if they don't make the conference championship either. You know, I, I hear you. I do, but you keep saying the streak has to end eventually. Well, law of averages. No, it doesn't. I'm just going to say, like, it, nothing has to balance out. That, that's just mathematics. And I do want to point this out real quick. Kansas City looks vulnerable, okay? Every point you made about Kansas City, every point you made about Miami, all that, that can easily stick to Buffalo. And when you have a team that is as turnover-prone and injured as Buffalo, I just don't see it. They've been ready to implode since last year, and I think we're seeing it in real time. And And a lot of it comes down to coaching, like I mentioned earlier. I just plain and simple do not trust Sean McDermott to outcoach Andy Reid. I do not trust him to outcoach Mike McDaniel, and I certainly don't trust him to outcoach John Harbaugh. What you're saying is true. I, I completely agree. This this Bills team is also vulnerable. I'm just saying the rest of the AFC is the same way. So we so we can give the Bills that same chance that we do the Chiefs, that we do the Jaguars, we can mention, the uh the Dolphins as well. I mean, this is just the most vulnerable I've seen the AFC. So therefore, everyone gets a fair shot. I don't see them making the Super Bowl or uh, the conference championship is a very small possibility, but I still give it a possibility because this is, again, this is a vulnerable conference this year. But yeah. I, I, I got nothing else to say, man. This is just such a tight conference. And honestly, you look at it from a whole perspective I'm not going to be able to judge anything else related to Buffalo if they can't get past Cincinnati, Houston, Denver, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, like the 7,000 other teams that are within a half a game of each other. Once I know that picture, then I'm able to kind of plug and play where Buffalo's cards may fall. But this is one of the tightest races in the playoffs this year I've ever seen. I don't think I've seen a playoff race this close since Tannehill made the postseason over Pittsburgh a few years ago in the start of Ryan Tannehill, That was the closest race I've seen. And that was just with two teams. You now have six teams in the mix, a half a game of each other. And it's just continuing to prove, quite frankly, the mediocrity in the NFL that we've had in the last two years and just keeps proving Tom Brady more and more right. I know. I saw that <laughs> quote and I, I was outraged by it at first, but then I, I thought I thought about it. And then a few weeks passed and I'm like, damn, he's kind of right. And uh, some somebody is going to miss the playoffs at ten and seven, possibly eleven and six. Yep, which is actually insane to think about because usually you would be in there and then some. This year, you may be you may be on the outside looking in, which is insane to think about. Yep. Uh, but with that in mind, I do want to move on. We're going to get to our week fifteen top three, bottom three, your best and worst weekly performances of the NFL. That's going to be next. This is the Fumble Rooski podcast.
Welcome back to the Fumble Rooski podcast. Adam Wright, CJ Medeiros, and Brett Schaubs as the special guest. All right, so we have reached the top three, bottom three portion of this show for every week. We give you the best and worst individual team performances from each week. So now we are on to week 15. And believe me, there were some good ones and there were some bad ones, which is the whole meaning of this segment. All right. So going on to the top three, we're going to lead off with the Seahawks. So you're without your regular starting quarterback, Geno Smith. Don't sweat. Drew Locke steps in and not only plays well, but he beat the best one, arguably one of the best teams in the NFC, uh, 20 to 17 in a shocking upset. All right. We move on to the lions. So the knock on the lions has been that every single time that they have run into a competitive team this year, outside of week one against the, the chiefs, but you could argue Without Travis Kelsey, they're not nearly as good. They kind of did that this week. A 7-6 and six Broncos team that is starting to shape into what they were supposed to be to begin with with Russell Wilson. And they don't not only beat him, they pantsed him. So that is, that is an incredible performance. And maybe it gives me a little bit more confidence in them going into the postseason. We move on to the Bengals. Another last-second touchdown. and. A team that was supposed to be done when Drew when uh, when Joe Burrow went down. Not only does Jake Browning look good, he's starting to become really likable. And I I remember he said he said he was looking into a camera and shouting, "You shouldn't have cut me," talking about the Vikings who cut him before the season started. That was whew, that was a cold line. All right, but there's my top three thoughts. Brett, you can go. It's Brett. I keep doing that. Um, pardon my mutage, but um, I had the Bengals as my top three, um, my number one. I just think in a crucial game like this, this was going to prove whether or not Jake Browning really was stepping up his game and playing at another level than he has been in the past. And he did so. He wanted the revenge against the Vikings, and he got it rightfully so. I definitely think the pieces are built for Browning. So while the hoopla around him has been cool, you also have to remember the team that's built around him. So in any other squad, I don't know if he does this, but just the fact that he beat Minnesota to keep Cincinnati in a playoff contention, you know, kind of caliber is extremely strong. And we're going to talk about my guy in a minute, but Drew Locke, man, those Seahawks. Um, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know why Drew Locke did that, but he did it. I was jumping for joy. My Twitter the next day was blowing up with Drew Locke. Um, I love that man. I forever will. Um, but I'm I'm happy the Seahawks finally ended that skid and were able to upset a potentially you know crucial situation for the Eagles. All right, CJ, what do you think? I, I do agree. I'm especially impressed with the Detroit Lions. We said they needed to get right game. We saw they were uh you know, starting to falter a bit. And no, no, no. I think this just uh, uh, ships up the fact that uh, they can be competitive and they are somewhat of a threat in the NFC, of course. The rest of their schedule is going to be tough because I know I, I think they have uh, Dallas at some point on their schedule. So we'll see if they can keep the good feelings through. Seattle. Won't lie to you, didn't expect them to win that. I mean, I used to be a Drew Lock fan coming out of Missouri since cooled on them, but but yeah, I'll give credit where it's due. However, unlike some, I do not believe there's a quarterback controversy there. Just with uh, Geno Smith's contract and the fact they didn't play him because he wasn't healthy, and the fact that Pete Carroll said when he's 100% he'll be the starter, that's just me. But yeah, I do have to give Seattle major props over upsetting Philly and breaking the trend. Uh, remember our last episode, it was mentioned that teams that lost to the 49ers, remember Adam? Yes. Yeah, so basically for those who don't know, teams that lost to the Niners, I think, were like 1-11 after losing to them, showing how there's a bit of a hangover. Well, now it's 2-11. Congratulations. That's it to me. I didn't pur- I purposely said that. And, well, Adam, Adam, my, my man. 
Week 15 is great and all, but how did you not include the Raiders? The Raiders? Well. C3 with Aiden O'Connell, the good AOC. Come on now. I didn't include the Raiders because I thought it had more to do with the Chargers than it, the Chargers losing it than it did the Raiders winning it. Look, I, I hear you. I do. However, 63 points. I know. Do you have any idea how hard that is? Brandon Staley's defense, man. Seen. Yeah, I'm even still with some of the biggest blowouts we've seen. 63 points is damn near unheard of. Yep, Staley's defense made the good AOC, as you mentioned, uh, look like he made him look like 07 Tom Brady. And that's that's hard to do. When yeah, no, no, I know, but still, it's hard 63. to do. Hmm. Yeah, it, also, you can make a case. No, no I, I hear you. Also, just one more thing. I'm not going to say you should have added them, but I feel like I just want to give a quick honorable mention to Tampa. I don't understand anymore what Baker Mayfield is. I really don't. That is all. Baker Mayfield is the enigma of the NFL. Forever will be. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, he's... Because he's not having a bad year, though. That's the thing. Like 3,350 yards, 24 touchdowns, eight picks. Like, hmm. I mean, it de- it definitely goes to show that his t- his short stint with LA really did save his career, because after his abysmal time with the Panthers, he went over there. He could have easily just turtled, and then that would be it. No one would want him again. But those few performances that he had towards the end of the season with the Rams. That kind of helped his case, and then he got another shot with Tampa, who he's actually playing pretty well with, and they may end up making the playoffs yet again with the Tom Brady-less Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is impressive. Even if they have a good, even if they have a good roster, it's impressive to make a the, to make the playoffs with, uh, with any sort of Tampa team. All right, moving on to the bottom three, the Chargers. You not only did your offense. Uh, did your defense le- let up 63 points? But the fact that you got shut out at the half against a Raiders defense that really isn't that all too special, that is whew, that is hard to do. The Falcons, not only did you only score seven points against the Panthers, but you just lost to the Panthers who were... This is a team that was who knew who knows what their next win was going to be because they were they have been that bad. They've been making so many changes in order to try to win games. And they finally did it because don't forget, the Bears have their pick right now. So they really do not have much to play for in terms of losing games. So they just they needed to win. All right, the Cowboys. You get so you're so lucky that the Seattle saved you here. So you get the, you get first in the, the NFC East, and then you hand it right back the next week against the bills team. That's been struggling all season long. Not only that, you got destroyed 31 to 10 for the amount that we've been praising this defense all season long. That was not a good look. And I know they, they have not been a great team at home, uh, excuse me on the road, but I feel like you need to be a little better than that. People, teams lose in, in upsets. It happens. the the whole term, um, the whole term, uh, any given Sunday, it does it does have some water to it. Um, but that was just that was just an abysmal performance. But thoughts on this list? Honestly, I think the Chargers had to be in here regardless. You lose 63 points to a team with an interim head coach in AOC? Come on. This just proved that Brandon Staley needed to be fired two years ago, and it wasn't even a joke. Like, legitimately needed to be fired. Um, The Cowboys, absolutely. Um, We know they're not a good team on the road. Bills needed a statement victory in the most desperate way possible, and they got it in this sense. Um, I'd also, you know like to throw out the Jacksonville Jaguars. You needed to win that game, and you absolutely sold it against the Ravens when, quite honestly, they should have been in that game thick and thin to begin with going back and forth. Trevor Lawrence, that touchdown with Calvin Ridley should have been a touchdown. 
you watch it frame by frame, that's a touchdown. Um, but, you know, he say, she say, whatever you want to do. The Jaguars should have been in that game to begin with. It should not have been that close. Um, but Dallas and Chargers, my goodness, what are we doing? That I, I am fully with you there. Yeah. Uh, the Jaguars would be one. It was, it's just, I just don't believe that Trevor Lawrence is 100% healthy right now. I think he's playing hurt. So that's kind of why I kind of give them a pass and also some injuries on their offense, but they definitely deserve at least an honorable mention. Well, yeah, that's something. And I'd like to give an honorable mention myself. The New York Giants. Ladies and gentlemen, Tommy DeVito's insanity run might be coming to an end. Looks like the hype around him was the real gabagool. Because, oh my God, the Saints, they're just the definition, the spitting definition of aggressively mediocre. And look what happened. You let Derek Carr get three touchdowns on your head. Oh my, just, it was painful. Not to mention Saquon Barkley toting the rock nine times for 14 yards. Do the math. That's 1.6 yards a carry. That is just terrible. And Adam, I want to do a quick little highlight of what you said about the Falcons. Yes. Let me tell you something. They're bottom three in more ways than one. Not only did you lose to a team that did not even get in the end zone. The Panthers got nine points. and they This, this was a high-scoring baseball game. They got three field goals. And I don't know if you've heard, well, both of you probably have, your head coach, Arthur Smith, is coming back for another year. Oh, oh yeah. Remind by, of that. by your reaction, I was going to assume, I would say I assume you knew, but yeah. yeah. Arthur Smith is coming back. The man who does not know how to utilize B. John Robinson, who cannot utilize uh, Drake London, and the man who, if his life depended on it, could not utilize uh, Kyle Pitts. I mean, I, mean, I, I just, I wonder, I got to wonder if this is intentional at this point. I mean, if he had prime Tom Brady on this team, he'd probably be starting Desmond Ritter. So yeah, Falcons, you really are the biggest losers. And if somehow you drunkenly stumble your way into the playoffs, I can't wait to see you get backhanded to reality. I forgot about that part that Arthur Smith is coming back and the weapons that this team has, man, is there's no excuse. And they're not even bad enough to they're not even bad enough to tank for a high for a high pick to get a, to get the quarterback anymore. Um, this is a deep quarterback draft, so if they want to go for uh, that QB, this would probably be the year to do it with that with that record they have. It uh, I believe it's seven seven right now. Yeah, I think yeah. they're at ten. 10 or 11, they're like hovering around there. Yeah. Um, so I have it in front of me. They're six and eight right now. So they'll maybe, maybe a Jaden Daniels or a, a Bo Nix falls to you and then you take him. Uh, but even then, can you even trust that Arthur Smith is going to utilize him right? Because you have all these weapons around you that should make and a great offensive line, by the way, that should make this team like a pretty good team. You should be able to win the NFC East. Uh, excuse me, geez, uh, the NFC South. But you can't even do that. So that's a little bit of something to uh, keep your eye on. And uh, maybe the Falcons ought to reevaluate Arthur Smith before this season ends and say, you know what? Maybe we should take uh, go in a bit of a different direction. All right. Well, I need to move on. Uh, so... Seattle Seahawks, Drew Locke had a pretty good performance. And has he worked his way into has he worked his way into this conversation to be the everyday starting quarterback? That's next. This is the Fumble Ruski podcast. Touchdown! 
Welcome back to the Fumble Rooski podcast by Power 88 and Secret Weapon Consulting. Adam Wright with CJ Medeiros and special guest Brett Shavs. So, the Seattle Seahawks, as I mentioned a couple of times this show, they won over the Philadelphia Eagles at home 20-17. to Drew Locke, 22 for 33, 208 yards and a touchdown. Um, in his first start, I believe as a Seattle Seahawk, is that correct? It is his first official win as a Seahawks starter. I believe it was his fourth career start for the Seahawks, but nonetheless his first win. Right. So the C- so um Geno Smith was technically active tonight. He was dressed, but they weren't sure who to start until just a couple hours before the game. And Drew Locke definitely made his case if it was an open conversation about who's going to be the starting quarterback going forward. Not only did he play well, but he also got the win. And he did it over a 10-4 and Eagles team. Um, what do we think about Drew Locke potentially making his case to be a starter for the Seahawks? I think as far as the rest of the season goes, they're going to give the ball back to Geno Smith. Um as much as I love Drew Locke, and I have been on his case since he came into the draft in 2019, I just don't think he has enough steam like behind his case to really make an effort to go over Geno Smith. That man, Smith, is going to obviously have a demanding contract in the next offseason. The Seahawks are going to have to reevaluate things again, whether or not Smith really does deserve $75 million plus, you know, to be handing out as the Seahawks starter. At this point, I'm going to say no for this season, obviously, and then going forward, I, I just don't think it, it's possible for Drew. Um, I just think his, he's dug himself in, you know, deep enough of a hole. But obviously, the two starts and the win were a phenomenal story. Um, I think this is a very similar case to Josh Dobbs. Yeah, it was a really good feel-good story. Josh Dobbs looked somewhat decent for a couple weeks, but then got his butt really much kind of sliced off and served on a plate to him. So again, feel good story. I just, I don't think it's going to carry much weight going forward. CJ. Let's be frank. I hinged at this earlier. I am not on the Drew Lock train. He has started two games, I believe this season. Yeah, it's two. And he's played in four, just taking snaps across this time. He has a completion percentage of 63%. He has 543 yards, only three touchdown passes, and three picks. Yeah, no, I'm not. And a lot of it is, what kind of message would this send if you just haphazardly decided to start him over Geno Smith, who last offseason you gave a pretty sizable chunk of change to? Also, Pete Carroll literally said when Geno's healthy, he'll be the starter. So I just want to reiterate what I said earlier. That's basically where I still stand now. Yeah. Um, so he'll probably end up, what's probably going to happen is that Geno Smith is still the starter. Um, what I will say, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say this with full confidence. I do not believe it was the right decision to, for the Seahawks to give them this contract. I think they should have had him at least be, have him at least be a bridge quarterback, give him that kind of contract, and then find a quarterback in the draft and groom him uh, to eventually take the reins. They have made it to, they have brought themselves to a point where they're not bad enough so that they can get that high pick to get the quarterback. And on top of that, um, you're running out of, uh, you're running out of Broncos picks that you used to have. Um, actually, you you are out of those. So now you're kind of stuck in this football purgatory where you have a really good roster around you, but now your quarterbacks are Geno Smith and Drew Locke. And might I remind you, when it was an open conversation about who was the starter last offseason during training camp, it was very close. Geno Smith barely edged out Drew Locke. So to rule out Drew Locke that quickly 
after a season after a season like Geno Smith had, which was incredible. Um, I thought it was a little bit premature to give him that big of a contract after one year when he hasn't been that good his entire career. Meanwhile, Drew Locke has shown has shown just as many flashes during that stretch of time where where Geno Smith was not that good. So I do believe that Drew Locke deserves a little bit more of a chance, and I don't think it was a good idea for G- for Geno Smith to get that contract in the. In, to so I guess to summarize, I agree. I don't think Gino, I, I think this is a very this is a feel good so- story, but that that doesn't mean Drew Locke can't play every bit as good as Geno Smith can. I think, I think Drew Locke has some good football in him. Um, not to this isn't a knock on Geno Smith. Geno Smith is what he is, but he's never winning a Super Bowl with them in the same way that I don't think Drew Locke will win a Super Bowl. Um, so it was, it's more on the Seahawks, the fact that they've committed all this money to one quarterback when they're really close in talent to begin with. Yeah, I honestly think that, yes, Geno played very well last season. I think it was a, I think it was foolish to give out that money with a little bit of sample size, if that makes sense. I'm very much picking up what you're putting down, Adam. I think in the sense, I don't think it's more so to like give up on lock quickly. It's the sense that you're now committing to Geno Smith for $75 million when he's over 30 years old. He has only had one good year of football under his belt. And you're now essentially committing a big chunk of cap space to someone who you really don't know is going to perform at a high level long-term. I just I don't think that was a, a smart move by the Seahawks front office. Um, we're kind of seeing it a little bit this year with the injuries to Geno Smith and the illness. That was basically what plagued him throughout the first four years of his young career um, with the Jets and with the Giants and other squads. You know, just the injury bug to Geno. I don't think Drew Locke gets another shot, but I do believe, in fact, that this was a very much premature decision to go with Geno long term. Yeah. Yeah, fair. And uh, real quick, I do want to play devil's advocate because we all thought at the time that, hey, Gino had a nice thing, but that was uh, perhaps a bit too much money. Uh, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, and even at the time, we were kind of scratching our heads at this. All, all I want to say is I can understand why they did. You obviously didn't expect it to be as good as you were if you just let him walk in free agency for another team to eventually overpay. Because let's face it, it's the NFL. That was going to happen. Then you wouldn't have had a good enough pick to take a quarterback unless you wanted to roll the dice on Will Levis. Yeah, and I don't think we, I don't think any of us wanted Will Levis when he was in the draft. I don't think anybody wanted Will Levis because it seems like um, this was a guy who was being hyped up to be a top five pick and when it what it turned out was nobody actually wanted him among gms on day one um but that's kind of a side tangent but they they still could have drafted somebody within that range they could have draft they could have slided up a spot with indianapolis unless they really liked uh anthony richardson that much but i feel like that's a guy who really could have fit well with the seahawks and what they try to do Pete Carroll loves his runoff, his run, uh, his RPOs. So, if you had if you had Anthony Richardson on that team, ooh, that would have been a this would have been a really fun Seahawks team to watch. Yeah, but Anthony Richardson is hurt, so he is hurt. That's more on the Colts. And you think the Seattle offensive line is that much better? I think this is a pretty solid Seattle offensive line. Yeah. Eh. There, it's better than it's better than the Colts' offensive line. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Hold on, I'm gonna say something. What? I feel like I know what Brett's gonna say. The Colts' offensive line has more name power, but Seattle's, I guess, is slightly better in terms of production. Yeah, I think the Colts have the more the more expertise on the line with Clark, with Quentin Nelson, um, with your two tackles. I think the Seahawks have a younger line with a higher ceiling. I do think they're able to protect Geno a little bit more. I think the biggest flaw with the Colts is that they're not 
their offensive line is not designed to fit a mobile quarterback like Richardson. They very much built that offensive line to be a pocket passer protection as a shield. Your Phillip Rivers of the world, your Carson Wentz's, even Andrew Luck, when Andrew Luck was there four years ago, that offensive line was designed for a pocket passer. When you roll out Richardson, they're not mobile enough to, to get out there and make the blocks in time. That's where I think Seattle's youth comes into play to help, you know, Gino when he does go on the run. Even Drew, too. Locke was on the run a few times yesterday. Um, that's where I think the difference comes. But I don't know. Again, it's all about design and the way you pick. But, uh, yeah, that's just my two cents on it. Yeah, well, that that is a really fair point about the styles of the the styles of the offenses and how they design the offensive line around it. I mean, that's what the Colts have had over the past. I mean, you could look over their past quarter decade, going back to their Peyton Manning days. They had the pocket passers. Um, Seattle has been the opposite, and again, I still believe. I believe that they would have been a great fit for Anthony Richardson, especially since they have quarterbacks like Drew Locke and Geno Smith who could step in right now so that Anthony Richardson, who you CJ and I did not believe was NFL ready just yet, he could sit behind, and then the very next year he could take over and be NFL ready. I thought that would have been a perfect strategy for them, but they decided uh, to commit more to the Geno Smith and Drew Locke uh, route, which has been okay. But I think okay is all they're going to get with this plan here, which is something – I mean, maybe they get another quarterback down the road, but uh, it's not working out so far for me. Um, but that's all the content we have right now for today. Do we have anything else before we end the show tonight? Not really. No, I think we're good. All right. Well, uh, Brett, thanks for joining the show. I appreciate – having you come on. It's always great to get your insight on the game. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Pleasure to be on with you guys once again, and I look forward to more. Absolutely. All right. Thank you for listening to us. We have all our new episodes out on Tuesdays at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and 5 uh, and five o'clock, uh, 5, uh, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We have all our episodes available on Spotify, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and so much more. Also, be sure to follow our Instagram and TikTok at FumbleRooski underscore podcast on Instagram and TikTok at FumbleRooskiPod to keep up with our podcast and the latest coverage on the NFL. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Over and out.